It's time now for Faith in Action, the program that looks at how ordinary people are putting their faith into action in their everyday lives. Faith in Action is underwritten by the Knights of Columbus, Council 6923 and Fishers, and is produced by Catholic Radio Indy. If you have any comments or suggestions for this program, please contact Bridget at catholicradioindy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at catholicradioindy.org. Or call 317-870-8400. Now, here's today's edition of Faith in Action. This is Faith in Action on Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Ganley. Our co-host is Bridget Ayer. Hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. And I'm sure people probably already know, but I can't remind you too often, that our annual dinner is coming up on Tuesday, August 24th. Tuesday, August 24th. Uh, Mark your calendar for that. We'll um, soon have uh, a registration up on our website where you can go and secure your seats at the dinner that way. Last year, of course, because of the pandemic, we had kind of a virtual event. We had a virtual auction and a little bit of an in-studio event. But this year, it will be live as as before, pretty much, as much as, you know, as we can uh, at this particular point. It will be back at the uh, Northside Knights of Columbus, now known as the Northside Event and Social Club, but uh, August 24th, the Tuesday night, and Father Vince Lampert, the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, will be our speaker. Always a great, great speaker with uh, a lot of good information about a topic that just never seems to grow old, exorcism. And uh, we're looking, really looking forward to that. So please mark your calendar for that. If you don't have access to a computer, call us up. We'll get you some tickets that way as well. 317-870-8400. 317-870-8400. Hope to see you at the dinner. Well, we have a very interesting topic today. Uh, one of our board members, um, Paula Trapaz, had um, given me this topic as an idea, and I think it's a really good one that our, that our audience will really love. Uh, so I want to thank Paula uh, for that idea. But we're going to be talking about an article that our um, guest and, and uh, the writer of this article uh, wrote for Catholic World Report. It's called Levering the, Leveraging the Truth, the Catholic University, and the Future of Western Civilization. So wow. that's, a, that's a really big topic. And, you know, we've seen so many things go sideways in our culture today. So our guest is going to talk about maybe an idea of hope and how uh, Catholic universities can be a role, play a role in kind of of restoring uh, truth in our culture. Our guest uh, joining us today is Professor Deborah Savage. She is a um, PhD and faculty member at St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity at uh, the University of St. Thomas of St. Paul, Minnesota, as we're recording this, but she's actually moving on to Franciscan University um, of Steubenville. So uh, Deborah, uh, thank you so much for being with us and welcome to Faith in Action. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm. I'm in one of our email exchanges. You had mentioned something that that you are really all about faith in action. So I, I we weren't haven't been able to really talk about that. So I want to ask you now. What do you mean by that? That you're all about faith in action. Yeah. Well, it might help if I mention just a couple things about my background, and that'll shed light on why. Okay. Cool. Um, I, I spent the first. 25 years of my adult working life in ma- working in manufacturing companies. And um, I was, my undergrad is in business and uh, 
there, it's a long story how I moved from that world to the world I'm in now, the world of academia. Uh, but I ended up getting a PhD in theology and philosophy and moved into academia to teach. It was really, I, I, I have to say, I found my vocation here. But uh, what I've always been struck by is the gap between sort of the world of thinkers, the, the, the world in which I live now, and the world of, let's say, doers. Um, the, the thinkers have no time for the doers, and the doers are really impatient with the thinkers. And so I thought, you know, this is my, my actual mission in life, is to help translate theoretical truths into uh, concrete action. You know, this clearly is what God meant for me to do. And so I'm always looking for the truth, but also for how does that show up in real life, and what can be ordinary uh, Catholic, of which I consider myself a member? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how do we how do we do something about this? I mean, academics tend to sit around at conference tables talking to each other about great ideas, or sometimes just stupid things. Frankly, I've been stunned by that <laughs> uh, discovery. But um, what good does it do to give papers to each other? when the people in the pews are, are lost and have no idea how to contribute or fix or correct the situation in our culture, which is clearly under attack. So uh, I'm always thinking that way, and in fact, I guess I'd have to say that the reputation I've earned at the university is, as a professor is that if you take one of my classes, you won't just hear about the truth, you hear about what it means in real life and what we should do to promote it. So, and I teach philosophy, so that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, is there much that an individual can do to change things? I mean, when you watch TV or movies or uh, modern pop music and things like that, it seems like, boy, the culture has kind of slid by you so fast, and it's way over there, and you're way over here, and you think, how? what can I do to bring that back? Is there anything an individual can do? Well, that's a big question, and of course, um, solidarity is a Christian virtue, so let's make sure we state that clearly. It's pretty hard to do anything individually. Uh, The individual is essential, though, and they have to make their own contribution. They have to witness to the truth wherever they are. Um, As we probably all know, um, when we are baptized, we're baptized into the threefold office of Christ priest, prophet, and king, and uh, that itself is a whole separate topic, but the prophetic vision of the faithful is something that needs to get played out, expressed, witnessed to in every single walk of life. The, The Church is very clear that the role of the laity is to transform the temporal order. It's not that our job is not to hang around the rectory. <laughs> Our job is to be out in the in the temporal world, in the the world of things and work and politics and all that. And our task is to transform it. So, whenever you speak the truth in a meeting or in any p- particular public context, you are serving as a prophet. And that truth can be concrete. It can have nothing to do with the faith or truth in a larger sense. Every time you stand up for the truth whatever that truth might be, and at least as best you see it, that's you expressing your prophetic office. And, and I think this is what's missing from our culture. I mean, let's say, what if 
all the you know the majority of people in the in the country don't subscribe to critical race theory, which is probably something we'll get to, but we're all afraid to say so. What if everybody who knows that that's just bunk said something publicly about it wherever they were? Uh, there would be no way to keep us silent, and so really, you know, we we need to we need to recognize each other as um, compatriots in that in that regard and support each other. Now, I, I didn't know we were going to go in that direction, but you mentioned critical race theory, and you hear those three words everywhere, and it seems like whenever you hear it said as critical race theory, people are against it, and the people who are for it don't call it that. Uh, what is it, critical race theory? Well, it's it's kind of got a long uh, history. In, in order to really understand what it is and why it's so dangerous, you have to go back to Marx, Karl Marx. It's a form of Marxism, um, and as we all know, Marx was into class warfare, right, that he put pit the worker against the capitalist and the so on and so forth. People are generally familiar with that. Um, but in every case, of course, anyone, any country, any political system that subscribed to a series ended in disaster. Millions of people have been killed or, you know, um, starved to death or put in gulags uh, as a result of trying to implement his Marxist economic theories. But in the 1960s, a group of Marxists, not willing to give up on Marxism as a, as a way of looking at the world, simply adapted and leveraged the um, unrest in the 1960s uh, as a jumping-off place for a new expression of Marxism in which they pitted the, the so-called oppressed against the oppressor. And so they reduced uh, or, you know, adapted, let's say, Marxist theory to uh, the, the war between races or ethnic groups. And so there's no question about this, that this is a destructive influence in our culture, and the evidence is all around us of that. I mean, irrespective of the Catholic faith, we're destroying ourselves systematically from within, and everyone in the world seems to know that. <laughs> so, um, except for us. So uh, we now have an argument between um, what, what uh, one author, Christopher Rufo, at the Heritage Institute, calls the coalition of the dispossessed. And the dispossessed is grounded in racial and ethnic identities. And um, as you've seen, anybody who can claim victim status now has more power over those who in many cases, are seeking to right the wrongs that are part of every culture's history. So um, what happened in the 60s, though, is that the civil rights movement diverted the Marxist um, uh, thrust of things, because obviously Martin Luther King was not for any of that. And all what we have now is, is something that resurfaced in the 1990s, starting really at Harvard University, and it's being promoted by academics. You can be sure of that throughout the country, maybe the world. They're not the only country facing this. And to the point now where there's a, there's a law professor at the UCLA, at UCLA called, named Cheryl Harris, who proposes that uh, we should have a federal department of anti-racism, which sounds good, but really when you look into what she's proposing, it's basically a, an elimination of private property, 
everything should be seized by the government and redistributed, all based on this notion that there's, uh, the white people have, have oppressed those uh, people of color and, uh, and every, the rest is sort of history. Now we're faced, white people are, are racist before they even open their mouths or in a way before they even get out of bed in the morning. So it's, it's really uh, designed to destroy us. For sure. Well, what's really interesting, and um, I, I've a lot of people have been reflecting about um, just kind of what's been going on in universities in general, in terms of that, um, just kind of ideology of viewing everything within the context of victim or oppressor. Um, and you, you see that among young people, they all kind of have latched onto that. Has that really happened at the university level, um, maybe K through 12, or has it happened um, maybe just through social media, through various people, um, you know, like maybe AOC or other thought leaders that young people maybe gravitate to? Do you, do you have a sense of that in terms of an ideological, why people are kind of latching onto this? Yeah. Well, it started a long time ago. Let's be clear about that. AOC is one expression of it and a very particularly dangerous one. But um, she would not be successful what she's doing if the groundwork hadn't already been laid. Mm -hmm. So um, it definitely began in academia, as I mentioned. The the sort of ground zero would be Harvard University. Um, And and I maybe mentioned that maybe someone will want to look into this a little further. You can attribute it all to what's something called the Frankfurt School, which there were people in Germany who moved to the U.S. after World War II, or maybe even during it, and uh, brought their ideas with them. And uh, a particularly prominent name would be Herbert Marcuse, a Frenchman, actually, who subscribed to that school. So they all ended up at, you know, elite universities on the East Coast. So here's what happened. And um, the, the... what, what's going on is that this kind of thinking has infiltrated certainly all of academia in many ways. You have to look pretty carefully for a good Catholic university anymore. Their marketing ma- materials may say they're Catholic, but my advice would be to really look carefully at what their, um, the people in charge of student life are up to, for example. But um, we, we need to take a break. Yeah. Let's take a break right oh. here. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about um, the solution through Catholic universities. And I want to get to your essay. So uh, okay. we'll, we'll come back and talk about that when we get back from the break. So stay tuned for more Faith in okay. Action. Across America, there are quiet heroes changing lives every day. When disaster strikes, they lend support. They give hope to those in need, warmth to the cold, and help to those society ignores. Over the past decade, they have given more than $1.5 billion and 700 million hours to charity. When it comes to making a difference, the Knights of Columbus are on the front lines. Become a Knight and be the difference. Learn more at kofc.org. Welcome back to Faith in Action. I'm Bridget Air. Jim Ganley and I are in the studio, and we're talking with Professor Deborah Savage. She is um, a faculty member teaching philosophy and theology at St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity at the University of St. Thomas, but she's also uh, moving on to uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville, and will be teaching, I believe, theology there. Um, so we're talking about an essay that she wrote as it relates to um, 
I guess, leveraging the truth, the Catholic University and the future of Western civilization. She wrote that for Catholic World Report. And let's pick up where we left off about what's kind of going on at the university level and how this happened. Yeah, just one more comment on what you had asked previously. Uh, the thing to know is that it, this critical race theory and, and its previous iterations, because there were plenty of them, it has infiltrated uh, the educational or uh, the uh, education curriculum at universities. So, you know, if you have to get a master's degree in education in order to, you know, get a raise in, as a teacher, even in a grammar school, uh, you have to get a master's. And it's in those master's programs and also their PhD programs where you're seeing this show up. And it's been showing up for decades. Post, it's, it's postmodern thought, which is basically any um, a conviction that there's no such thing as truth. Everybody's got their own truth and also a, a way of looking at the world through the lens of power. So this has all infiltrated our schools as a result of requiring people to get master's degrees in education in order to advance in their career. And they go there and they learn this stuff. So basically what, so you're, what, what you're saying is that this, the, the people who are being in schools of education, like if I'm you know, at yes. whatever university and I'm wanting to be a teacher to advance in my career to get my master's or my PhD or even in my, you know, just getting my undergraduate in education, those mm-hmm. schools are, have curriculum that has critical race theory, ideology maybe under a different name for the past three decades and so it's no surprise as as you're trying to explain that these kinds of ideologies are being taught whether they're being taught overtly or that person's mindset is that as they now they're teaching k through eight or at the university level am i understanding that correctly that's correct, and there's way more we could say about that, but yes, that's the truth. And when it comes to some of the divisions in society that you're talking about, uh, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on what's normally referred to as the 24-hour news cycle where you've got um, conservative networks and liberal networks, and they have to, by their nature, fill 24 hours a day with news or pseudo news or opinions and uh does that kind of push this divide we're talking about and keep it wide open oh i think it's undeniable that that's a that's a factor and i i don't think it's disputable that the majority of the media the mainstream media the legacy media whatever we call it is liberal if you will in their bent. I mean, liberal is actually a misnomer. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with classical liberalism. I'm a classical liberal. But uh, it's the left that has taken over the the discourse in our public uh, arena. And and there's just so much evidence of that. And so, uh, you know, uh, on the other hand, conservative media isn't always on target either. I mean, there's. The tr- this is why if someone says to me, are you a Democrat or Republican? I say I'm Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Because, yeah, it's, uh, it's the right answer because the truth is nuanced in a certain sense, right? We do have an obligation to the poor. 
But on the other hand, the church and the in Catholic intellectual tradition is absolutely committed to private property. A man should be able, and a woman, should be able to keep the fruits of their own labor. And so it's all, it's not so simple as to just say we'll vote for a Republican for Congress or president or, it, it, you know. So uh, the, the vision of Catholic social thought is so profoundly true that it would be wonderful if we could actually get a Catholic president who understood all that, and I, I'm still waiting. <laughs> so um, we, we can't just claim that everything that's said publicly is, you know, is true if it's said by a conservative. I guess would be what I'd say, but mm-hmm. it's certainly that 24-hour news cycle is not serving us well. And, and the, uh, kind of a um, question uh, that hinges on that a little bit is social media. Uh, Twenty years ago. Um, if if you were at home and you had a thought or something or other, that's about where it went. You and your circle of friends. Now, if you come up with some idea, whether it's good or bad, you can put it on social media. It can grow. It can go viral, and all of a sudden, it's in the national news. And it just came out of a you know a single person's uh, Facebook or Twitter or something. Uh, what effect does social media have on this? Well. It's- it's, I'd say it's kind of made us stupid. <laughs> I mean, the you know the soundbite, the video, the um, the tweet. I have a Twitter account. Occasionally, I'll go on there because somebody sent me a tweet. A tweet, I, and I'm just stunned. But why would anyone spend any time trying to express themselves in 300 words in a tweet? It's just crazy. And the things you read are so so viciously hostile. It's kind of strange. Um, but I would add that. Um, on the other hand, you know, just in the last few days, we've seen videos on television and, I guess, online that have gone viral of parents at school board meetings who are absolutely fighting back against critical race theory, being the critical race theory being taught in their schools or promoted by school boards. And that, that is also a good thing. You know, so like all technology, it's a tool and we need to learn how to use it, and it's been commandeered by people who don't have our best interest in mind. We just have about four minutes left, and I really want to get to the essay, and there's so much there. So, um, but, but I want to ask you real quick about Catholic intellectual tradition and why that is so valuable when it's really, um, I guess, the hope of, of truth. Talk about that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In four minutes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me see what I can do. Let me, let me just say that uh, the, the basic premise of that article is to argue that what we need to look for is the key leverage point. As you asked at the very beginning, what can the individual do? Well, you know, always have to ask about leverage. Where do we start? And my own argument in that essay is that it's the Catholic University where, we, where the key leverage will be. I mean, you want to think about the church. The Church has the truth, and the reason that she does is because she's not just um, referring, her truths don't just come from Scripture, although they are, certainly originate there. The Scripture presents us with all sorts of questions and things we seek to understand. But the Church is grounded in, in concrete reality. This is called realism. And she, you know, anyway, so there's much more to say about that. But there's, there's a way in which the Church's truth claims are all grounded in a contact with reality. And the Catholic intellectual tradition 
uh, that's a feature of the Catholic intellectual tradition. It has been from from the start. So that informs the Catholic worldview, which is that everything the world is sacramental in its very essence, and and so on. So all those things can be taught in a Catholic school, in a Catholic university. And since the problem began in the university, why not realize that the problem can only be solved in the university? And in the article, what I mentioned is the fact that the church is the single biggest uh, educator in the world of our children from K through 12 and beyond. And a significant percentage of the people attending Catholic schools, whether grade schools, high schools, or colleges, are not Catholic. So through that means we have access to the, you know, a, a large majority of the entire world. There are Catholic universities in every country uh, from A to Z, pretty much every country. The, the, the university system as we know today began as a Catholic enterprise. And the Church is very clear the purpose of a Catholic university is to dedicate itself without reserve to the cause of truth. That's basically a quote. From John Paul II. So my argument in the in the article is that we need to um, recover Catholic education and express the Catholic education, not uh, an education that's on, um, uh, loyal, if you will, to the magisterium. But most importantly, and this this doesn't rule out the magisterium, most importantly, dedicated to the cause of truth. And because of these forces, we've lost touch with that in many of our Catholic schools. Uh, and everyone has, has, I'd say, probably experience of that fact. So uh, I, w- I would say, you know, the evidence is clear. I'd say in the last few days, join the school board. Run for the school board. But also pay attention to what your ca- local Catholic university is doing. If you, need to t- if you get a chance to talk to the archbishop or the bishop uh, in your diocese or archdiocese, make sure that you... You raise those issues. The, the education of our children is by far the single most important thing that a culture does, whether you have children in the school system or not, because there isn't any other way to change things than through the educational systems we employ to prepare future leaders for their role in the world, which, as I began with, is to transform the temple order to return uh, all things to Christ. <laughs> on that note, uh, we are out of time. Uh, our guest, oh my God. <laughs> I know our guest today has been Professor Deborah Savage. Um, her essay is Leveraging the Truth, the Catholic University and the Future of Western Civilization. You can get that um, at Catholic World Report, or you can also uh, get that at Catholic Radio Indie. We'll go to the podcast on the show, and you can click the link there. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, good luck. Uh, we wish you all the best at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Thank you, Fat. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. You've been listening to Faith in Action, the program that looks at how ordinary people are putting their faith into action in their everyday lives. Faith in Action is underwritten by the Knights of Columbus Council 6923 and Fishers and is produced by Catholic Radio Indy. If you have comments or suggestions for guests or topics for this program, please email Bridget at CatholicRadioIndy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at CatholicRadioIndy.org 
or call 317-870-8400. This program is pre-recorded.